You're listening to The Vine Podcast, episode 41. Have you ever wondered how to get started with email marketing for your food blog? Maybe you've wondered what you should say or how to grow your email list. In today's episode, I'm going to be interviewing Liz Falsigno from The Clean Eating Couple, and we're going to be diving into email marketing and how you can get started with it. You love the time you get to spend creating content on your blog and connecting with your audience. But building a brand and working on your website, that's where it can feel overwhelming. With all of the lists out there of everything that you should do, sometimes you just feel like giving up. But friends, there's a better way. When you spend time strategically thinking about your blog, you'll discover what is essential to build a successful and sustainable business and what's not. I'm your host, Madison Weatherill, a WordPress web designer and branding strategist for food bloggers. I'm here to help you think strategically about the brand you're building, connect with your ideal audience, and ultimately convert them into raving fans, the ones who actually make your recipes, interact with you, and make this whole food blogging journey worth it. It's time to design a business you love and remember why you started a blog in the first place. Hey friends, welcome back to the Vine Podcast. I am so excited to be chatting with you today. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing my friend Liz Falsigno from The Clean Eating Couple. Now, if you don't know who Liz is, you are in for a treat. She has so much knowledge about blogging, specifically in the food blogging industry. She has grown her food blog from a hobby to a full-time career, and she is just someone who inspires me so much. We have been working together. She has been a client of mine. I've designed her website. She actually got started as my V back when I had my food blog and so we have known each other for I think about five years now and it's just been such a joy to watch her business grow and you'll hear at the very end of the episode we get a little mushy with each other because we both just have so much respect and just love each other's businesses so much but I am just really excited for you to dive into this episode and to learn about email marketing specifically from someone who I have watched use email marketing to explode her business in a way and she just uses it so authentically and so well so I can't wait for you to hear from her. To give you a more specific bio about Liz, she is the founder of The Clean Eating Couple, a website all about simple, easy to follow, healthy recipes, most of which are paleo and Whole30. Liz has grown her site from a hobby to a six-figure business, and in addition to running her blog, she coaches other bloggers to grow their sites into a business. There are going to be so many resources in the show notes, so definitely make sure you check those out. You can check them out in your podcast player, or you can also head to graceandvinestudios.com and click on the podcast tab to find all of our episode show notes and to learn more. Okay, let's jump over to the interview with Liz Falsigno of The Clean Eating Couple. All right, welcome Liz to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Hi Madison, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Well, would you please just start by telling us about your blog and I'd love to hear kind of your story of like how you got started versus what your blog looks like now. Yeah, sure. So I run the site, thecleaneatingcouple.com, and I started my site, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. I started it when I was in college, really just as a way to kind of chronicle my own health and fitness journey. I had started eating better and working out, and my friends and family were asking me, you know, how did you make that protein shake or how did you make those healthy cookies? So I really just started it for fun and kind of as a way to kind of group the things that I was eating and things that I was doing in one spot. And as I continued with it and watched kind of like the trajectory of the blogging world, I realized that there were people doing this for their full-time job. And at the same time, I was entering um, kind of corporate America and realizing, I don't think I really want to do this. And the idea of 
being able to run my own business while also sharing what I loved, um, which is healthy food, just sounded super appealing to me. So I kind of went all in and turned my blog from a hobby into a business. Yeah. And it's been awesome to watch your journey over the last few years. For those of you who don't know, Liz and I have worked together for pretty much the extent of her blogging career and my business career. So it's been really cool to just watch your blog grow and watch you take it from that hobby to full-time. So you said it's been seven or eight years since you started. How long did it take from when you kind of made that shift mentally to say like, this is what I want to do full-time to when you were actually able to go full-time? Yeah. So I probably started the blog in like 2013. I graduated college in 2015 and started working. I feel like it was probably around then, like two to three years into starting the site. I realized, okay, people are doing this as their job. I'm currently working in a job that I don't love. And that was kind of when I started the ramp up. I feel like I was like half in, half out. Like I wasn't really sure. Could I do this? Could I not? Um, But the more I... I focused on it, the more I realized that it was totally a viable option. And that's, it was around, well, I quit my job in 2018. So it was 2017 that I really went all in, worked my butt off to be able to get to a point where I felt comfortable taking the leap from corporate America to blogging full time. Yeah, that's awesome. And this is not the topic we're talking about, obviously, today, but I just, I feel like people are definitely going to have questions about what that looked like for you. So can you just, as like kind of the last point before we jump into email stuff, just talk about like where your blog was at when you made that jump to full-time. It doesn't have to be like your income necessarily, but like page views or any like kind of growth that you had seen that kind of got you to a certain level. Yeah. So I actually wrote a blog post about this that I can share with you if you want to put it in the show notes for people because I know a lot of people like to read these kinds of stories. I think that I was in a different position than a lot of people because I was a relatively new grad in college. I really wasn't making a ton of money. So for me, the jump from like my job to working full-time, like there wasn't a huge, it wasn't like I had a huge salary to try to compensate for. I'm just looking back at that blog post actually and reading kind of like where I was at. So that the year that I decided, all right, in 2018, I'm quitting my job. I went from being kind of like passive about this to really making a plan for myself. So I said, okay, I'm going to post two times a week. I'm going to really focus on my photography. I'm going to try to start, you know, making what I thought was good SEO choices. Then looking back on it now, probably wasn't great, but you know, we, we learn as we go and just, just working my butt off. I used to get up at like the crack of dawn. I don't even know how I did it, but I used to work for a couple hours. I'd get up at four and work before I went to work at eight. And then I would work while I was at my job, which I totally was not supposed to be doing. And then I would come home and work. So I don't think that I really had like a balanced approach to it, but it got me to where I needed to be. And now looking back on it, kind of the sacrifice and the hard work that I put in was totally worth it to be where I am now. I don't remember exactly where I was at in terms of traffic, but I was with Mediavine for a couple months. So I know that I was at least at their threshold. But that 2018, when I quit my job that January, that was my best month that I had ever had on the blog. And from then, it's really just been upwards because, you know, before when I was really only putting 20 to 30 hours a week into my blog, and then I went from having basically the extra 40 hours a week that I was working to be able to put towards my site. So it's really helped to just bring it upwards. 
Yeah. And I'm sure that having that extra time has helped you to prioritize what you work on. And instead of feeling like you're kind of all over the place, you're able to really make more strategic decisions about like what you focus on. And so that kind of leads us into what we're going to talk about today, which is email marketing. And I would love for you to kind of share an overview about just how a food blogger can use email marketing. And you can share, you know, for your your own experience, what you've done, or I know that you also work with coaching clients and things like that. So just kind of an overview of what email marketing is and how food bloggers can use it. Yeah. So you know I love email marketing and I'm really excited to chat about it. And I think that a majority of food bloggers are afraid of email marketing. They think that it's like super complex or you need to be an amazing copywriter and have all these hours to spend time crafting these emails. And it's totally, totally not like that. At the like most basic form, the way that I see it is this is the only opportunity you have to own a portion of your audience. Because when you look at Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and all the other platforms that are out there, we're almost just like renting space there. And we really, if Instagram goes away tomorrow or Facebook or Pinterest, anything, if they go away tomorrow, you really have no way to contact those people. And when you have someone's email address, you basically have them for life or until they decide to unsubscribe, which hopefully they don't. But it's really the only way that you have to control how you're contacting people. And at its most basic level, you can just use it to let people know about your new recipes if you're a food blogger or whatever new content you're writing about. But at a larger level, you can use it as a way to introduce people to who you are, what your values are, and share your best content. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you shared that there's kind of those two sides to it because I think a lot of people when they get started with email marketing, they kind of just stick with the basics, which is just really sharing your most recent post. And so is that how you got started with email marketing? Just kind of that basic like RSS feed and that kind of thing? Yeah. So I've always, I guess, had a sign up section on my site, even when it was kind of just like a hobby blog and I was just getting started and there probably was just my mom and some of my friends on there. So they would get, whenever I would post something, it was, I think it was an RSS feed and they would get notifications about it. But when the Instagram algorithm changed and I realized I had really no way of kind of owning my audience. And then when my site started to grow, I realized the importance of having something. So that's kind of when I really started to get involved with email marketing. And it's been a constant learning and growth really ever since then. That was probably like three or four years ago. Yeah. So what are some of the results that you've seen from using email marketing, not only just more consistently, but also like more thoughtfully and more strategically? Yeah. So I think that, again, kind of like back to that most basic thing, I've seen increased page views from it and also kind of like an instant blast to when I share something new. This is like a automatic guaranteed way to basically get page views. So I know that when I send an email, people are going to click, it's going to drive that traffic. But beyond that, it's a different opportunity and a channel to partner with and kind of wow brands. So I usually don't sell or pitch a dedicated email, but instead I kind of use it as a bonus to brands, which they love. They feel like really special that they got an email blast. So I use that. I've also been able to make extra money from it. So I have my welcome series set up so that my top affiliate partners have dedicated emails in there. So I'm always earning from that. And besides that, I also know that if I really need kind of like a quick cash infusion, I can send an affiliate email or promote a a specific affiliate deal and pretty much automatically make money. I'm not someone that's making millions of dollars off of affiliate sales, but you know, I know that I can make a couple hundred dollars if I need to just by sending out a couple emails. 
Yeah. And that's definitely something that I've appreciated about your food blogging journey is just you have been really strategic in setting up those different buckets of how your money comes in. You're not relying fully on ads or you're not relying fully on affiliate marketing. And I think that's something and you can definitely speak to this a little bit more, but just from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like that's been something that's helped you in times of whether it's a global pandemic or it's you know something where just traffic is down for whatever reason. It seems like those buckets have helped you to have that diverse income and you know just helped you make a better rounded business in general. Yeah, for sure. I, when I first started out, I definitely wasn't diversified and that's been something that I really tried to prioritize. Even with like what you said, I mean, I feel like a global pandemic is pretty much the best example that we can give of this. While my business has been hit, it has not been hit to the extent that some other people, you know, people that focus only on ads and the income from their ads, my income from my ads was cut significantly with what's going on. But at the same time, I had one of the best months I've ever had. One of my partners is Thrive Market, which they do grocery delivery. And I had the best month I've ever had with Thrive Market. And thankfully, the compensation that I earned from that affiliate portion made up for what I lost in my ads. So having that diversification and knowing kind of when to flip the switch and be like, okay, maybe now is not the time to drive the traffic because I'm not making as much from people coming to my site. And maybe instead I talk about why I love Thrive Market so much or some of the other delivery affiliate partners that I have. Um, So having that option to kind of turn things on and off and using your audience through email. And obviously you can, of course, you know, apply that strategy to, you know, your Instagram stories or what you share on Facebook, things like that. But having that ability to diversify is really helpful. Yeah, I I love that. And I thought of another question as you were talking that isn't related to email marketing, but I just know this is going to be really helpful for the listeners to like hear kind of the side of your story, but how do you balance sort of having all of these different balls in the court, you know, or balls in the air with, you know, doing affiliate marketing and doing email marketing. And I know you're really active on Instagram stories too. And I'm sure like having this be your full-time job, it does help a little bit, but do you have any advice for people who kind of feel like they're all over the place for their blog and like how to kind of narrow in on what is important right now or how to just have better time management for all of those things? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I feel like I don't do a great job of it, but I record things a lot in advance. So I know that this kind of takes away from the authenticness of Instagram stories. And I don't feel like I'm being inauthentic just because I recorded something three days ago and I'm sharing it, you know, on Friday. But there might be a day where I get, I'm just using my affiliate partners as examples, my smoothie box and my butcher box delivered and an order for Thrive Market. It's not really going to make sense. And it's also not going to be very well received for my audience to be like, here's this, and here's this, and here's this. And you can use my links and my coupon codes of all these. It's just way too overwhelming. So something that I do is I pre-record all kinds of stuff, just thinking of Instagram stories. And I save them and I use them on both Facebook and Instagram stories. I also use my Google Calendar. So if I know that there is a sale or I just remember that I haven't talked about a certain affiliate partner in a while or shared a recipe, I'll put it in my calendar as a reminder to be like, on Thursday, make orange chicken on stories so that you know, I re-upload the stories or I make it for dinner or something like that. So I really try to plan ahead. I try to sit down on Sunday night and like think of the week ahead. Think of, you know, what I'm going to promote, what recipes I'm going to upload, what channels I'm going to share it on. And I repurpose a lot of it. So like if I'm talking about an affiliate partner, I'm going to try to talk about it everywhere. 
if I'm making a recipe, I'm making the recipe everywhere. And I'm also sharing it in my Instagram feed. And I'm also going to try to send an email blast out about it. Like I'm going to try to be as consistent with all those channels because otherwise you're promoting an affiliate here, you're making a recipe here, you're pinning this, you're emailing that, and then your brain is just, I feel like, a pile of mush and you're all over the place. So I try to be somewhat consistent in my messaging. I don't know if that was helpful. I feel like I just kind of talked in circles, but that's kind of how I approach it. No, I think it's really helpful. I think that the point you made about kind of using the same content and repurposing it everywhere is so important because I think our first instinct is to think, well, what if someone follows me on all of those platforms? But I can attest to being somebody that follows you and I've followed you for a long time and my family makes your recipes all the time. Like it never bothers me when I see something like that. And very rarely do I even see it. But if I were to, it's not going to bother me because I'm somebody that actually cares about what you do and like actually supports you. And so I think the thing I would share with everyone listening is just if you feel like you're all over the place, and maybe try to streamline things and you know do what Liz suggested, which is just if you're going to be in all the places, do the same thing in all the places and obviously follow the best strategies for those different places. But it's okay to repurpose the content and it's okay to kind of have that same messaging and same like, experience on different platforms because people are either not going to notice or they're going to notice but not care because they already support you and love you anyway. So I think that was good to just hear how it works for you. And there's a lot of good nuggets in there. So let's go back to email marketing a little bit more. There's just so much like wisdom to get from you and your journey, but email marketing is definitely something that you're really good at. So I want to make sure we touch on that a little bit more. So what would you say is kind of the right time for someone to get started with email marketing? Uh, probably like yesterday. I mean, (laughs) every day that you are not set up with email marketing is just a huge loss. Because even if you just started your blog, and you only have 10 people on your site a day, that's 10 people that you could capture and remarket to. And I think that a lot of bloggers are constantly in this more page views, more people. But if you just really serve the people that you have, and just keep bringing them back, you don't have to constantly chase a bigger audience. I mean, sure, a bigger audience is great. I mean, obviously, there's more opportunity, the more eyeballs that are on your site. But if you can grab those people, you can essentially have them for life and continue to remarket them, which is just a huge opportunity. Absolutely. And I always tell people that, you know, even though food bloggers are not selling a product necessarily, unless it is like an affiliate marketing, but even then you're not, you're not selling a product that you created, but we really are trying to create repeat customers with having people come back to our site or having people dig into multiple posts. And so email marketing really is one of the more guaranteed ways to be able to do that. Because if you compare, you know, email open rates, through email marketing versus like the people that are seeing your stories on Instagram, you're going to get way more views through an email just because of the algorithms and because of how email marketing works. So I love that you said, you know, you should be starting this yesterday. So if you haven't gotten started with email marketing, what would you say is kind of that first step that someone should take? I think that just doing it and getting the stuff set up is just the best thing to do. So there are are a lot of free providers out there. Um, I think MailChimp and ConvertKit. I think MailChimp is free up to a thousand. ConvertKit is free up to I want to say a hundred. No, I think they changed it to a thousand recently. Oh, okay. So ConvertKit's great. I personally use ConvertKit. I really like them. MailerLite. I know you said that you have some clients that use that. Mm-hmm. I've heard great things about Flowdesk. It's not free, but it is fairly affordable. But I've never used it. But just get a form on your site and start collecting people's emails, even if you don't know what to do with them yet. Just collect them. And I know we all hate pop-ups and they're ugly and they're not great for a side seat, but they work. And if your goal is to continue to contact people and to grow your email list, 
there's no denying that having a pop-up on your site with a really great freebie is going to get people to, to sign up. If you have a list and you haven't talked to them in years or months or whatever, just send an email. Send out something that you know is like your best content or your number one recipe for me. That's like my orange chicken. People go crazy for it. And anytime I send it, people love it. So pick out what that number one recipe is or something super relevant, you know, maybe summertime, maybe it's a frozen drink or something like that, that you know that people are going to like send it out. You're going to get unsubscribes if you haven't talked to your email list in a while, but that's okay because who cares? They're not meant to be there. They're not your people and just move on. Yeah, I love that. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about freebies for a second because you mentioned, you know, having a good freebie and I know that you have some really awesome freebies that perform really well for you. So, would you just talk for a few minutes about, you know, maybe even start with like what a freebie is? I have a podcast episode that I'll link in the show notes for anyone who hasn't heard it, but I would love to hear from your perspective like what is a freebie and what makes a good freebie specifically? Yeah, so I will say kind of back to what I was saying before about having a form on your site. If you have a generic form that's like sign up to never miss a recipe, You might get people to sign up for it, but I feel like people hold on to their emails really tightly. So you have to kind of entice them with something and a freebie is a great way to do that. So a freebie could be anything. It could be a checklist. If you're a food blogger, it could be a mini cookbook. If you, you know, do crafts, maybe it's a printable. There are lots of different options that you could have, but it's basically just like a free download that you offer to someone in exchange for their email. Typically it's the first email that you send to them. And then from then on, you just keep emailing them. (laughs) Exactly. And I, Totally agree. I, I feel like you're saying the exact same things that I always say to people, which is, you know, having a generic sign up form really isn't going to do anything. It, it's going to probably attract people that you don't even want on your list because they're just going to not even really care. So I think the more specific you can have a freebie be to your blog and what makes your blog unique, it's going to help you to build that audience of people that actually care because this is another area where I feel like, especially back when blogging first was getting popular, people would do giveaways and try to grow their email list through giveaways and stuff like that. And what would end up happening is people just had these crazy padded lists with really not the right people on there. And so the second that they send something that's a really important post or something they really want their audience to have, they have, you know, a ton of people unsubscribing because it's not what they expected. So I think, you know, to what you said, just making sure that you create a freebie that is really in line with your brand and will hopefully attract the right people to your site. is just going to help you to build a loyal audience instead of just building this big email list just for numbers sake. So I just love that you have that philosophy as well. So let's talk about, you know, so we talked about like having a freebie, having a sign up form. Do you have any thoughts on like what should come next? Do you have any strategy about, you know, how you send out emails or kind of what your process is for that? Because I know you've increased like how many emails you send now per week. So I'd love to just kind of hear about like that journey because I think it's important for people to understand when you're just getting started, it's okay to just start small, but maybe give people an idea of what it looks like as you grow too. Yeah, for sure. So I think... I said this before, but at the most basic level, you can just send out an email every time you have a new recipe or a new craft or whatever it is that you blog about. And I would encourage people to not just send an RSS email, send an email like you're talking to a friend. So, you know, my emails are super, super short. And I think that that's another thing that holds people up. They think that they have to craft like a newsletter, which you really... You could, some people, some bloggers do that. I don't because I know my audience and I know that they don't want to sit and read a novel. We're all busy, we're on the go and 
a lot of people don't want to read these very lengthy emails. So my emails are just a couple of sentences. So I, I like to kind of call out a problem or call out an issue that they might resonate with, offer my recipe or whatever I'm talking about as a solution, include a couple links to click to the recipe, include a link for people to pin it and move on. So the most basic way that you can kind of email people is whenever you have a new recipe. But I think the more that you email, the more you see what people like. And I've used email as a way to basically repurpose and remarket all my old content. So, you know, right now it's summertime. Last year I posted a bunch of grilling recipes. So I've been emailing those out. So you can think of it in a seasonal way. You can think of it we were talking before a lot about affiliate marketing. My personal philosophy is, I, is not to sell to your email list all the time. I think that no one likes to be sold to all the time. I know if you've ever been on like Old Navy's email list, they send you emails every single day and it drives me crazy. No one wants to be sold to all the time. So if you are going to send out affiliate deals, I would caution you to you know, just be mindful about how often you're sending them and send them in a way that's helpful. Explain why you love this product or why you really enjoy the service or why it's relevant right now. I mean, going back to the COVID example, I mean, there was no better time to talk about grocery delivery than the, these past few months. People have not been wanting to leave their house. They've been looking for different options. They've been considering services that they otherwise probably would not have considered given what's going on in the world. And I don't think that it was wrong to sell during that time because I didn't position it as a, you should buy this, you should buy this, you should buy this. I positioned it as, this is something that's been so helpful for me. I don't know how you feel, but I'm not going to the grocery store. This has really helped myself and my family so that we don't have to you know, worry about stocking up on pantry goods. Here are the things I really like to order from them. This is how it saved me money. So coming in at it as a way of being helpful and not necessarily being salesy. So that's kind of affiliate deals. You can also email people asking to promote your other social channels, like asking people to follow you there because... Most people coming to our sites don't know us. I mean, some people do. If you have a pretty strong audience, maybe they're a return visitor. But if they're coming from Google or Pinterest, they don't really know anything about you. So kind of getting into the more elaborate email marketing, or elaborate isn't even really the right word, but explain who you are. Explain what your philosophy is. Share your best kitchen tips. I think that, Madison, you gave me that idea of like sending out the kitchen substitution email, which people really loved. So sharing more about you, sharing where you are on other platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and promoting people to kind of follow you there too. There are so many things that you could talk about beyond just sending out your most recent content or your best recipe. But if you're just getting started, that's a great place to get started. And you can worry about the other things as you move on and kind of progress with email marketing. Yeah, totally. And I want to touch really quick on just because you and I have both used RSS feed as an example, but for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's basically an automated email that gets sent out whenever you have a new blog post that is published. And so typically this is this is kind of how a lot of people started with email marketing. They would have MailChimp and they would set up an RSS feed and then they would, it's kind of a set it and forget it thing. But I think the the problem with that becomes that eventually it kind of feels like it's automated and your audience might not be as trusting as they would be if they can tell that this is being written to them and that there's been some thought 
put into it. So I think you know, at the very least, even if you can only commit to sending one email, even every other week or even once a month, but I think the more often you send your emails to your list, the more they're going to open them, the more they're going to look forward to them. It used to be when you would produce blog content, people would know to expect a new blog post on a certain day. And email has kind of become that version of that because blogging, people aren't following blogs that you know, closely anymore. But I think email can really become that for your really loyal audience. And like you said, there's just so many different ways that you can use it. But at the very least, just sending out that new content in an email can be really helpful for making sure people actually see it. Because I think one of the biggest struggles for food bloggers is putting out this great content, but nobody ever sees it. So your email marketing can really be a way to make sure it's getting delivered to people. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with everything you just said. <laughs> so is there anything that you think just holds people back from getting started with email marketing or with really using it more strategically? I think a lot of people get caught up in thinking that it's super tech heavy or complex. And Madison can vouch for the fact that I am certainly not a tech guru. I have to email her to do the most basic things on my site or explain to me how to do them. So it's really not that hard. Maybe a few years ago, it might have been, but I feel like these email providers are trying to make it easy for you to use. And you really, once you get the tech set up, you really don't have to do much with it again. So I used to be with MailChimp, now I'm with ConvertKit. But when I switched over to ConvertKit, I feel like there was about one week where I feel like all I did was email things, setting up sequences and automations and things like that. And if you're just getting started, you're not going to have a million automations like I have. But I spent the time up front. I did what I had to do. I had it set up. And now, not that it's passive, but it is relatively passive. So it's not as time consuming as people think. And we haven't really even talked about welcome sequences, but that's a whole nother way that you can use your email marketing. I mean, I have my main welcome series or my main opt-in that brings in most of my subscribers is something like four or five months long. So if tomorrow I shut my computer and I do nothing, I don't create a single new piece of content, I'm still going to be emailing and building that relationship with all of the new people that are coming in through the sign-up forms on my site. So welcome series are a whole separate thing and they're freaking awesome and can bring in so much traffic and save you so much time because they're basically on autopilot. So it's really not as time consuming as you think. And the other thing is I feel like a lot of people are worried about what do I say? You know, how, how much do I write? How long does it have to be? And like I said before, you do not have to write out super long drawn out emails. I feel like a few sentences can really capture someone's attention and ultimately drive them to click or purchase depending on what your goal is with your email. Yeah. And I think another thing to just encourage people is if you're not sure where to get started, I would say, you know, set up that form on your site, which all of the email providers that we've talked about so far have documentation on how to do that. So set up that form on your site so you can start collecting. And then the other thing that I would say is go ahead and sign up for a few people's lists, other food bloggers that you really respect and admire or other people in the industry, because just getting some inspiration will really help you to see hopefully that it's not as difficult as it might seem. And I think, you know, like you touched on earlier, Liz, like don't try to reinvent the wheel and you don't even have to specifically write new content for an email. You can just use certain parts of your blog post that you already wrote, but just maybe do a custom introduction where you talk a little bit more like you were talking to a friend, but you don't have to feel like it's this whole other process that you have to do it. 
it really should probably take you 10 to 15 minutes to write an email to your list, if that. And I think the more you do it, the easier it's going to be. But yeah, use other food bloggers in the industry as inspiration. Don't copy what they're doing. Because again, as I've said many times, your audience is totally different than theirs. But you know, I would highly recommend getting on Liz's list and see what she does. And we'll include a link in the show notes to one of her freebies that she has. But just use what other people are doing as just inspiration and just to see that it doesn't have to be as hard as it might seem like it needs to be. So yeah. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to share just about email marketing or kind of your journey? I don't think so. I'm looking over the notes that I had written down, but I just feel like just get started. Just do it. It's really not as bad as people make it out to be. It's certainly not as hard as people make it out to be. And the possibilities are endless. The only regret that I have with email marketing is that I didn't start sooner because it's just been so powerful, especially the past couple of years for my business. And I'm just so excited about it and can't wait to continue growing with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love for you to talk about your email challenge that you have because I know you ran it back in April, right? Yeah. And you have another one coming up in August. So if you want to share a little bit about what that is and then share also how people can work with you if they are looking for more support on their blogging journey. Yeah, sure. So I have a five-day start and grow your email list challenge that starts on August 3rd. It's a small group coaching challenge. There were about 15 people that did it the last time we ran it back in April and the results were awesome. In five days, you basically go from having zero clue about email or having zero subscribers or no list or no provider to getting new subscribers, having an actual plan of how to talk to your subscribers for the future, and just how to keep bringing in those new subscribers. So it's basically like if you listen to all that we talked about today, and you think, oh my god, that's so overwhelming. I don't even know where to begin. This is, in my opinion, I think it's very affordable. It's very easy to take the action on it. It's not overwhelming. And it's really fun because you get to be with other people who are kind of in the same boat as you and going through the same thing as you. So if you're interested in that, the best thing to do is probably to, you could either shoot me an email, liz at thecleaneatingcouple.com, or I will give a link for Madison to include in the show notes where you can learn more about the challenge. Or you can get on my weekly blogging newsletter where I send out um, blogging tips every week and we'll, I'll be sending out more info there. So lots of different places to contact me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll put all of those in the show notes. And like I've said a couple of times, I just like love following you as a blogger, but also as a friend. And so I would highly recommend to anyone listening that doesn't know Liz and doesn't follow her to follow along because she just is full of resources and inspiration. And yeah, we're, I'm a huge fan of Liz, as you can't tell. <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of you. I feel like we could go on and on just talking about how great one another is, but my business would not be where it is today without you, Madison, and what you've done for my site. And you've helped make my brand and just my business come to life. And I'm forever grateful for you for it and just really thankful for you. Oh, well, thanks so much. Well, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. And like I said, definitely check out the show notes for all of the links that we talked about. I know we touched on a lot of things, but I hope this was helpful for you guys to just learn about email marketing and hopefully have the confidence to get started with it. If you're still not feeling confident, definitely check out that challenge that Liz has in August. And I just want to say thank you so much, Liz, for being on the podcast and just sharing all of your knowledge with us. Thank you. This is so fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I would love for you to screenshot it and share it with a friend. You can tag me on Instagram stories at Grace and Vine. For the show notes for this episode, head to thevinepodcast.com. Talk soon.